2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Mega caps, mega comeback. The stunning run those stocks have staged, how far they can keep going. We take that key question to the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington. Joe and Jenny right here in front of me on the desk. Let's check the markets as we always do. Take a look at the Dow negative along with the S&P. NASDAQ, nope, it's positive by about 17. Ten-year note yield, 269. We've been focused, Joe, on this mega cap, mega comeback. Right, I know you have. Mm -hmm. It's been one of the principal reasons why you've become more positive on on the overall market. And and why not? Apple up 27.5% from the lows. Amazon 39. Alphabet 15. Microsoft 16.5%. I'll throw a meta eight and a half out there, but you get my my point here.
3: So this has been unfolding for the better part of the last six weeks, and the reasoning behind it really has nothing to do with the overall fundamentals. Everyone knows the fundamentals. We know the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. We know that the economy is gonna contract as a result of that. We understand earnings, there's been resiliency, but the intangibles where you generate alpha in a market, they come from positioning and sentiment. And from from my perspective, at the end of June, we had reached a moment where we had extreme pessimism mm-hmm. related to sentiment. And then in terms of positioning, to your point, growth was carried at the most significant underweight that I could remember since the great financial crisis. And what is going on right now is that we're seeing this acknowledgement that the economy is going to contract. Growth is going to be scarce. Well, strategically, what do you do in that environment? You go out and you try and invest where you can find growth. And what we're doing right now is we're rebuilding positions in growth. Now, you've talked about the cues Mm -hmm. as the way you
2: were principally uh, playing this move, right? Correct. Which now you've sold. I have. Why? What does that say about your belief
3: in what this move has left? First of all, the technicals do work, the technicals got me into this trade with the break above the 50-day moving average at 292.5. Sold the Q's today at 322. That's a 10% profit, one of my better trades so far year to date. The reasoning behind that is as price continues to move higher, the risk in the positions that you have A lot of these growth names increases. Let's remember. And the risk reward decreases. Absolutely. Now let's remember something. It's not just that I bought the Qs. While you were on vacation the July 5th, I bought NVIDIA at 149. Where's Nvidia right now? 190? Yep. I bought Chipotle at 1290 along the way. Uh, I've, I've bought Datadog, and more recently I've bought Uber. So I'm clearly, and then the Joe T is increasing its position to technology, so I'm clearly stepping more towards a growth strategy. Uh, so with all that being said, it made sense to take profit in the QQQ, especially after what I witnessed yesterday, in particular to one stock we'll talk about in a minute.
2: All right, good stuff, good tease there. The significance of this move really can't be understated. Um, overstated. It's one of the reasons why the market has been able to do what it has and why people are still optimistic that there's more left. These things have technically taken back some key areas like Apple back above its 200 day moving average, four straight days closing above that level cannot be just written off.
4: Okay, but I will argue that we are overstating it because I think we're cherry picking. If we look at just Apple, Amazon, Google and say, wow, they're so far off these 52 week lows. I'm going to say, you know what? So is, and I'll look at my portfolio, United Rentals is 40% off its 52-week high, low, sorry. Bristol-Myers, 37. XPO Logistics, 34. AbbVie, 33. Applied Materials, 31. Aptiv, 30. There's, I think this is much bigger. I don't think this is a former Fang statement. I think this is a statement that the market probably really did bottom in June. I think the leadership is broadening out. I think you can win by playing growth. I can win by playing my dividends and, and more value-oriented growth stocks. I think we're going to see divergences in performance that are much narrower going forward than what we've seen in the past five years. I think this is a much bigger thing at play than just the return of our formerly known FANG stocks.
2: Okay. So let's bring in uh, Weiss. Weiss, I think you're on the phone. Um, you've been more negative than all, uh, at least in, in terms of our investment committee, on, on where this market is. But I see some significant moves here from you. Um, you bought Apple, okay? You bought Alphabet, you bought Amazon, and you bought Qualcomm. Weiss, do you, do you run fast? You have good track <laughs> shoes on, Weiss, because you're a chaser. <laughs> Weiss, Apple's up 27.5% yeah. um, from its lows. Qualcomm's up 26%. Amazon's up 39%. Alphabet's up 15%. You're buying them now?
1: Well, let's put this in perspective. First of all, you know, I, I have had a lot of cash, uh, didn't see the move coming, but got involved in the move. And I can't have any ego, as most good investors don't. Uh, As a matter of fact, every good investor has no ego. And I've got no institutional memory that's going to dictate when I'm going to buy a stock or not. So if I think the market's going to move, and the best way to express that move is in the stocks that you mentioned, I'm going to do it. Without concern about people commenting, do I have running shoes on, stocks <laughs> up 27% or whatever? I mean, look, the best traders I know don't have running shoes. They have private planes. And that's Steve Cohn and Dave Tepper, both people who I've worked on, worked with, and worked for, right. and managed money for. And that's where they go, Scott. So, OK, I hear so you. Yeah,
2: so I hear you. But then <laughs> you, you can't, <laughs> my, I, I, look guess, look I guess part of my point Weiss, is that you can't tell me that you bought these stocks today and then tell me tomorrow yeah. that you're, you're negative on the market. This is somewhat of a signal to me that you think there's got to be something left in this move or you wouldn't move into these names now.
1: No, that's correct. And I didn't buy them today. I didn't buy them yesterday. I bought them over the last couple of weeks. And I've also added to GSO before and after the quarter. Phenomenal blowout quarter, 20% organic growth. I get to those later. I bought later. I get to those right, later. Okay. Don't,
2: don't front run okay. the whole show, so- Weiss. I mean, I can't see your face and you're on the phone, so I can't give you dirty looks so you understand what's going on. But don't front run the whole thing.
3: Joe has something for you. Steve, I don't know if you watched uh, Jim last night on Mad Money, but I think he made some excellent points related to what we're seeing right now in terms of positioning with oil. How much of the move that we've seen recently, in your view, is about just repositioning away from oil? and now moving back into a lot of these mega caps and then does the risk become well if oil finds stability and begins to bottom those flows reverse again
1: i don't i don't think oil has anything to do with it really i think that the overall commodity complex uh, trading down and this move started while oil was still nicely above 100 uh, not below and gas was still higher uh, june was one of the best months we've seen in a long time So I don't think that really had much to do with it at all. On the margin, possibly, but oil's not going to dictate where this market's going. Um, Of course, if oil trades 200 barrel, as every brilliant commodity analyst was saying it's going to, uh, because they always say 200 when it breaks over 100, uh, that's a different story. I think
2: part of our our point here, though, Jenny, is that Apple, if oil won't dictate where this market's going, Apple might. Apple might. Because as long as Apple remains you know, okay, I get it, above the 200-day moving average is significant, 165, the stock was at 166 yesterday. You can't tell me that if Apple remains strong, more than likely the other mega cap techs are going to remain strong, and then the market is too. You can't tell me that those stocks are going to do well, and then all of a sudden the market's going to give it back.
4: Well, it's not going to happen. You, you have two things, right? You have Apple taking up 7% of the S&P 500's market cap, but the flip side is is that they only make up, I know this is only, right? They only make up about five percent of S P five hundred earnings. It's much more balanced when you look at earnings. You also look at Apple, and they just don't have that earnings growth ahead that they need to have major performance leadership. So my thought goes back to this chart that we talked about, I don't know, several times over the past several over the past year, where Ed Yardani puts out this great chart and it shows who the top five performers were in 2001, 2008, 2009. And what you see is when a handful of stocks grow so large mm-hmm. and take up 25 percentage of the market cap of the total S&P 500, what happens in the, in the proceeding 10 years? Nothing. They relatively plateau. They just, they just are too big to grow at the same rates To So you're right, Scott, on the one hand, you have this wonderful stability that, that Apple brings us, but I just don't think they're going to have that leadership growth. Uh,
3: but 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 it's the proxy for positioning and sentiment. Look look at Stevens' moves. Steven is buying names like Apple, mega cap, because what does Apple give you from a positioning and sentiment standpoint? It gives you growth at a reasonable price, right? You're I'm ne- going
4: to argue it doesn't. But go ahead.
3: Okay, and it also gives you the type of exposure with its seven percent weighting into the S and P, where you're able to quickly recapture a lot of your underweight positioning. And, and without question, okay, it is, it is the one stock that is the source that's capturing all of these reallocation flows. You've seen that with the significant outperformance, not only that it's had in the last six weeks, but really year to
4: date. I'm going to argue on two points of those. So one, the growth at the reasonable price. No, you have, you have a stock that's growing at, what are earnings growing at? Like 5 to 9%. Mm-hmm. It's still trading at 29 times earnings right now. Historically, it traded in a 10 to 15 times multiple. Let's say it deserves to trade well above its historic multiple. It deserves it to trade at 20 times. That would argue that it's still overpriced. With respect to the the capturing the dollars that are going in, I'm more on Steve's perspective on this. I don't think it's money coming out of or away from oil. If we look at quarter to date, energy stocks are still up 5 percent and change. Tech is up 15.
2: Where yes, is this up. all coming from, the sidelines? from retail?
4: Maybe. Maybe it's just shifting around. But I don't think it's a direct energy for Apple swap. I don't think I don't think people are. I I, I just you know, I've said this for a long time. I just don't think the Apple is going to have the performance leadership that it did. I think it's going to be the buyback. Let's discuss. Good (laughs)
2: Good point. Let's let's take what Jenny's saying and discuss why we're rallying. Right. That's what JP Morgan's getting to. And the mega caps and Apple, they're very much part of the story. Really interesting um, note today. They ask, why are we rallying? They say short covering as folks reassess the macro environment better than expected earnings from mega cap tech in an environment that looks like Q2 will be the worst a quarter of the year. The retail bid looks to have returned ton of money on the sidelines. So those are some of the things, Joe, that that are being talked about as to why this market continues to rally. And you just cannot discount the fact that mega cap tech and Apple are part of that story and a very large part of it.
3: And, and some resilient earnings, and, and oh, maybe the Federal Reserve is actually doing okay in combating mm-hmm. inflation, and we're not gonna have this, this hard landing that everyone universally is expecting. So I, I think that collection uh, has come together here since the early part of July, and it's pushed up against this overwhelming pessimism. And the type of pessimism, Scott, that was represented during the great financial crisis. I, I mean, that was, that was clearly obvious. So I, I, I think that's really been the, the dominant force here of what, what ultimately is going on. And now you ask yourself, okay, here we are on August 4th. Have we now taken positioning back to a more stabilized level? And I think the answer to that, by the way, is yes. I, I think we have. I think we've rebuilt mm-hmm. risk somewhat here.
2: The the power of this move in, in Apple, for, for starters, has surprised people, right? Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG chief market technician, joins us now. He, he's certainly one of them, aren't you? Jonathan, you weren't looking for a, a continued move like this?
5: Yeah, no, you, you know, you have to hand it to the Apple bulls. I think what's remarkable about Apple is it acted as a defensive stock for the first, for much of the first half of the year through May. It, it outperformed the market as it was going down, and then yet when everything turned in late June, you saw a complete unwind of of relative performance in the market, where the defensives lagged and stuff that had been hit the most rallied the most. With the exception of Apple, Apple actually doubled the S and P's performance off the June low, about thirty percent versus. Um, you know, 15% for the S and P. So it's, it's just amazing. And that, that's culminated with new relative highs for Apple versus the S and P. So it surprised us again, mainly because it had been acting more defensive, but then once, you know, risk on return in July, it flipped and became a more of an offensive stock. So it's been impressive. I think with that said, it's still, you know, at some tough levels here. If you look at the uptrend from the late 2020 lows, um, it broke down below that in may, And now it's coming back to retest that area also with some pretty overbought conditions, about as overbought as we've seen the entirety of this year. So on the one hand, we're very impressed, you know, handed to the bulls. But I think, you know, buying it here at a minimum, we would expect some consolidation. But we think we're probably in for some retracement as well. But you say
3: you
2: say in your note today, a decent pullback. That's your word. A decent pullback uh, from here is fairly likely. What does a decent pullback mean to a technician?
5: Well, look, we had a thirty percent move off the lows. I think you could, you know, retrace, you know, a third to a half of that. And even, even if you know, Apple's seen the ultimate bottom, um, you know, retracing a third to a half of that move, I think is is reasonable at this point.
2: Hmm, interesting.
5: All right, Jonathan, I'm going to let you
2: run. I want to kick this around with the group. I appreciate it. Interesting stuff uh, from you. I wanted to get a technical handle on where the uh, the experts were thinking we could uh, go from here. So, uh, Weiss, I mean, that's what you're playing for, right? I mean, you're playing for more of a run, not a, you know, one-third to one-half retracement.
1: Yeah, I am. So, so I, look, it's, uh, right now what I see is basically a clear field ahead. So, you're out of earnings. You, you've tried to have the Fed come back and talk back what, what, what I think was a misconstrued uh, policy shift, a pivot by or, in, you, know, uh, you know, soon pivot by Powell. And uh, the market's been resilient. It's traded up through all those comments, through everybody saying we're going to keep raising and, and there may not be a cut next year. So right now, until the next Fed meeting and maybe until Jackson Hole. Uh, I think you've got some clear selling. Mm. So the market, as expected, earnings came in better than expected because they always do. So they were taken down ahead of time. Some companies did well. Some companies did poorly. But the market just didn't seem to care. Mm -hmm. So August tends to be slow. But you will start seeing the Fed impact of rising rates hitting the economy. And the market, I don't know if it makes new lows, but I do think it tests the old lows that we've seen most recently. So right now, it's party on. And we'll deal with payback later on. So,
2: Jenny, I mean, a a 10-year at 267 uh, only helps this trade. It doesn't really help the value trade. Now, it may help your trade because there's, a you know, looking for yield and you got the dividend part of it. But for a true value investor thinking that value is going to continue its run that it was on before this resumption of, of growth, We can't be a great place to think that the market's going to do well. Do do you think that value is going to overtake growth again?
4: I don't know about overtake, but this is where I go back to the earlier comment that I made about performance divergence is narrowing. So if you looked at my performance, for example, going years back, I used to always tell people, look, if it's value, if it's dividends, you know, if it's growth, all of them kind of track together over the long term. You know, if you if you buy a value index, if you buy a dividend fund, if you buy a, you know, spiders over 10 or 15 years, they're going to have about 8 to 10 percent return. And that was true for a long time. Then the past five years, that wildly diverged. And I think we almost forgot that history is that most of these all track together. So Scott, I don't know if for a while value lags, it certainly led, but I think that if we reflect back in 10 years from today, They'll probably all be up in a much tighter range with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's where you go to, like, you pick your poison. What makes you feel comfortable? Some people like dividends because they like the income that, it, that they can rely on. Some people like value because they're just uncomfortable with nosebleed valuations. Some people love growth because it excites them. I don't think... Some
2: people love growth because you can have growth at a reasonable price.
4: Some people love that. Um, can I say one thing, though? Please. If we're talking about um, technical bottoms on Apple, I think that we should give credit to superstitious bottoms on Apple. Because do you remember what the actual low on Apple was? It was when I brought you an Apple when it was flat for a year. You're just
2: an Apple hater because you don't own it.
4: I am. I know. But I think that's superstitiously put in the actual bottom. So, you know, everyone who's up on Apple, you can thank me for for reverse jinxing
2: myself. All right. uh, Well noted. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to Kate Rooney. She has a news alert for us. Kate.
4: Hey there, Scott. Visa CEO speaking out for the first
6: time on a controversial lawsuit involving MindGeek. That's the parent company, of Pornhub. The CEO saying Visa is suspending card acceptance on the advertising arm of MindGeek until further notice. This is based on the court's decision, and Visa cards will not be able to be used to buy ads on any Pornhub-affiliated sites. Visa had already suspended payments for that site, anything on that site that contained user-generated content. That happened two years ago, and it has not been reinstated. It comes after a judge in California denied Visa's motion to dismiss a lawsuit by a woman who accused the payments giant of knowingly Facilitating the distribution of child pornography on Pornhub and other sites operated by that parent company, MindGeek. Al Kelly underlining that this was a pre trial decision before Visa had presented any evidence. It's unusual for a CEO to really speak out on legal matters before a final ruling. Al Kelly, though, saying that this situation is different. As a uh, CEO, a father, and a grandfather, he said he felt compelled. To speak out, he says Visa's practices have been mischaracterized. He says the allegations stand in direct contradiction to Visa's values and purpose. Visa condemns sex trafficking, sexual exploitation, and child sex abuse. He also underlined that the network does not tolerate any illegal activity. It follows the laws of the country in which they do business. He also says they don't make moral judgments on legal purchases made by consumers. Scott, back to you. All
2: right. OK, pressure coming from a lot of different sides in that story, including right here on this network from Bill Ackman this week as well. We appreciate that update. All right. Steve Weiss has more moves. He teased some of those in his portfolio. We're going to hit those next. We will get into the energy trade, too, as crude oil is on pace for its fourth weekly loss in five. We'll find out how the committee is positioned there. We're back in just two minutes. All right, we're back. Uh, we do have a plethora of Steve Weiss moves to go through. All right, Weiss, you back on camera, too? I, need to, I want to see your face. Yeah, All right, there you go. Right, I need to see the facial expressions and everything as I'm giving you the business.
1: I, I hate to deprive you. I mean, it's like depriving you of the eighth winner of the world. The see viewers you? are
2: disappointed. They'd rather see you on the phone. But nonetheless, it's better for the conversation. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, uh, you, bought, you bought Ford, right? You bought Ford. Talk to me about that first before we get into the buying more of.
1: Yeah, so I've been listening to Kramer uh, extol the virtues of Bill Farley. And you know what? Jim he's Farley. Right
2: <laughs> it was Jim. Yeah. Bill Farley was great too, but Jim Farley is even better.
1: I mean, Jim Farley, right? Bill Farley is somebody else, but Jim Farley is great. Uh, his younger <laughs> older brother, distant cousin. But yeah, he's done a great job. The numbers they put up yesterday were phenomenal. Fortunately, I had bought the stock beforehand, but their product lineup is just tremendous. So. Look I, I think there's still an appetite and I do believe that while the uh, the lower end uh, consumer is under definite pressure and will continue to be under pressure, the higher end consumer is is finding you know the wherewithal to buy vehicles okay. they still have 12 year old vehicles on the road so the replacement cycle is intact.
2: I knew there was no I mean there was no way you were going to buy buy GM because then you'd have to take it from from Jimmy and I know you didn't want to d- deal with that either so you bought more deer. You bought more Target. You bought more GXO. You've talked about that. You bought more Moderna. Let me stop at Moderna real okay. quick because didn't, Joe, didn't you say something about Moderna the other day? Like yeah. you kicked it out of the oh. Joe T, didn't you? Well, absolutely. Goodbye. And you said, goodbye and You said
3: luck. thank God, get out of here. G- goodbye and good luck. Why? Why? Remind good Weiss why, and then I want the <laughs> rebuttal from Weiss. Because in the last year, we've lost 53% on the position. It's done nothing but gone straight down, and any bounce that actually occurred – was uh, the, the bounce that was the equivalent of a beach ball. Weiss?
1: So, look, the, 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 the story of Moderna hasn't changed at all. The prices change, granted, but so has it with a lot of other stocks. Uh, COVID is here to stay. So right now, it continues to be a COVID story. But in the meantime, they've increased their platform of therapeutics and vaccines exponentially, approaching 50 and it's the same size. So I continue to look at it as a technology stock, as an extremely cheap life science company that will be the most valuable life science company in the world at some point. In the meantime, you have COVID, which is an annual event. You'll see boosters maybe semi, semi-annually. So it's there. The cash is there. They're buying back $3 billion worth of stock. The fundamentals are excellent, but you've got to be a platform investor in biotech to understand the stock and to appreciate it and put it away and keep it away. So I've never fully exited. Like with everything else, I cut back my positions. I thought about it before the earnings came out and I said, people are just counting this out. Analysts just don't know what they're talking about. They're listening to their hedge fund buddies who say short it when I think that this is just When You look back in five years, three years or even two years as data comes out, frankly, even the end of, of next year, you're gonna be glad you own this. All
2: right. Don't criticize those for, for listening to their hedge fund buddies. I'm just saying, all right? That's, that hits a little <laughs> too close to home. Uh, you bought more deer. <laughs> Very close. Yeah, you bought more deer. So tell me about that. Tell our viewers why you bought more of that.
1: Yeah, and Joe Grisland, we've talked offline, uh, there, there's, a, there's a, a hunger crisis going on in the world. And when you've seen what's happened with grain, uh, and shipments from Ukraine, even though the first one came out, Russian, et cetera, uh, and global warming. There just aren't enough crops out there to feed the population. So that is as counter cyclical, as recession proof as anything I've seen. They've got a very small part of the business in forestry and construction. We saw it could happen there with CAT, mm-hmm. but overall, farmers are going to be making money. So I want to be in deer. I've been looking at it for a while, I missed the bottom. But it's been a great trade so far, and I really view this as a long-term investment.
3: All right, any comment from you? You're a dear guy, right? I am. The replacement cycle is going to be incredibly strong, and when it all said and done, uh, Farmer Jim will be the only human sitting on top of a tractor. Autonomous tractors are coming. It's real and deer is there.
2: Jimmy's never given up his tractor. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> I'll be the last now, one left. Now, Weiss, if, I, maybe the most best way to say this is the, the most controversial move, if you want to characterize it that way, that you have is you bought more Target. Right. That's that space uh, certainly seems to be a battleground at this moment. Um, and, and Target and Walmart have been knocked on the canvas. So
1: why now? Momentum trade, pure and simple. The momentum con- was continuing in the name. Um, it's a trade that, you know, that, that don't can. Okay and uh, I don't think Brian Cornell's going to miss for the third time. One of those times being actually the fourth time because he announced two weeks after last quarter that, by the way, we're going to miss again. So I think the, the bar set pretty low, but the stock is picked the straight momentum off the bottom. It's cheap for the first time in a long, long time. Um, so I just thought I'd add to it, it's on a short leash. That is not a long-term investment for me, because of what I believe is happening with the consumer.
2: Okay. All right. Good stuff. Energy, it's the biggest underperforming sector in the S&P 500 today, some talking peak oil. The group is pacing for its worst week since mid-June. WTI now below $90 a barrel. That's the lowest level since mid-February. We kicked that around. We're doing that now? We're taking a break. What do you guys want to do? Now? Are oh, we going to do it now. Oh, yay. Right. I wasn't sure if we'd taken a break or we doing that. <laughs> Weiss threw me. Um, we got some en- uh, earnings after the bell. Duke Energy, EOG. Joe, you own EOG. What about this idea? Um, you've been buying more mm-hmm. energy stocks. So you must must scoff at the notion of peak oil.
3: I, I rely on, you know, my 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 background uh, in oil trading with Mark Fisher. And looking at the shape of the curve, and I know Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs has done an excellent job talking about this as well, you still have significant backwardation. So I've got spot price of oil right now sitting at 88.07. That's down 259, I go 12 months out. You've got the spot price of oil. Uh, only down year uh, today, two dollars and forty cents, priced at eighty dollars and fifty-five cents. So, it's 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 still representative of a very tight supply environment. Mm-hmm. And when you study the earnings results for these energy companies, it's bonkers, right? It's it's, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. Pioneer. Uh, the results, the raising of the dividend, the revenue that's being generated in, they're going to invest not in production. They're going to invest in their share price. Yeah, I know, but if crude okay.
2: if crude continues to go down, and Jenny, I'm, I'm looking at the list of the things you own, okay? Let's see. Chevron, that's down today. Devin, that's down today. Kinder Morgan, that's down today. So um, my point is that you own a lot of these stocks, How can they do well if it, in fact, is peak oil and oil does continue to go lower?
4: Because I never counted on, nor did the share prices ever count on $140 oil. So let's let's just dissect Devin, for example. Devin just announced earnings. At the current price of oil, right? If Devin would collect, right now around $80 a barrel, Devon would collect $9 billion of free cash flow on a market cap of $36 billion. They just raised the dividend by 22%. The share price right now kind of incorporates oil, at, or assumes oils at around, I think, $60, $65 a barrel. So if you believe the oil kind of stays above $60 a barrel, they're minting cash. They never, the share prices, even when they ran up, they never accounted for 140 dollars. I believe they're overshooting a bit on the downside now. And when you're saying these guys How are about-
2: overshooting on the downside, didn't they overshoot so much on the upside because of where oil oh, went?
4: I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they overshot that. Look. Well, so the we moves know. on the
2: upside were justified, but the moves on the downside are not.
4: I think they. I think they. If you think of the pendulum swinging all the time. Right, and when oil prices were going up, and they were at $140 a barrel, the pendulum swung to about here. So oil's at 100, pendulum's here. Now oil's at 80, the pendulum's past that. The pendulum's saying, "Hey, we think oil's going to 65." So it kind of didn't swing far enough on the upside. It's kind of overswung on the downside. But however you cut it, Scott, if you can make the argument that oil stays above 60, these guys will continue to mint cash. And to Joe's point, they're investing in their shares they're investing in us as their shareholders. Well, I don't think
2: Joe, I don't know if Joe believes that. If Joe, if, if, well, he if said oil,
4: they're not investing in their businesses. I understand,
2: but, if, but if oil, if oil stays above 60, right? I think most people think it's going to stay above 60, but let's say it stays, let's say it, say it stays around 80. These stocks are going to do well, like
3: Jenny suggests they still can because they're minting money. So I'll tell you what I would react and and do positional-wise. Around 80, yes, I would carry an overweight still to energy. If it goes to 60, I wouldn't carry an overweight to energy.
4: Would you be equal weight or would you be underweight there? Underweight. Interesting. I'd still stick with it, but I have a different objective, right? My objective is to collect a really, really consistent, steady dividend income stream. So I think even at 60 for my portfolio, they still work. Because at 60, they're, Devin's still going to be paying me like 8 9%. So that no. works for me. But I totally get it from your more growth-oriented perspective. At that point, that doesn't work.
2: No. So, oh, so it just depends what your discipline is. That's right. All right. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Contessa Brewer has the headlines. Hi, Contessa.
0: Hi, Scott. Four former and current Louisville police officers are facing federal civil rights charges in connection with the 2020 uh, um, drug raid that resulted in the death of Breonna Taylor. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced allegations of excessive force, a post-shooting cover-up, and lying on the affidavit that police used to obtain a no-knock warrant.
8: We alleged that the defendants knew their actions in falsifying the affidavit could create a dangerous situation, and we allege these unlawful acts resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. The charges announced today also allege that the officers responsible for falsifying the affidavit that led to the search took steps to cover up their unlawful conduct after Ms. Taylor was killed.
0: D- WNBA star Brittany Griner sentenced to nine years for intentional drug smuggling and possession in Russia. President Biden calls the verdict unacceptable and promised to pursue every avenue to bring Griner home. Griner's attorneys say they will file an appeal. And on the two-year anniversary of Beirut's port explosion, a section of silos damaged in the blast has collapsed. They've been tilting for days and the area around them has been evacuated. no injuries have been reported but it's impressive video scott
2: tessa thank you that's contessa brewer straight ahead paramount global beats the street on earnings jim labenthal who else he joins us next for the debate and the trade A stocks kind of been all over the place today too he's feeling a little bit better at the moment it's up about two percent we talk to the farmer next Welcome back. Paramount beating estimates this morning. Our own Jim Labenthal joins us now to discuss those results since we made him discuss what might uh, be the results this week amid a bunch of downgrades to sell. All right, Jimmy, I saw a bunch of tweets from you and the stock, frankly, has been all over the place. So give me the wrap up here.
8: Yeah, I think it, I think it's got some legs though. Right now, the pre-market was ridiculous because this was an excellent report, Scott. By the way, thank you for bringing this up. It's very gracious of you. I know I took you to task yesterday on it, but they beat on revenues, they beat on earnings, they beat on free cash flow. They added 4.9 million subscribers to Paramount Plus. Let me just let me repeat that: 4.9 million subscriber additions. Compare that to Netflix or anyone else, that's pretty darn good. Um, and, you know, the short term, the, all those analyst downgrades were on the macro headwinds in the advertising space, but their upfront wins in the advertising space were really quite good. So it's hard to find a blemish here. You know, if you're a long term investor, you're looking at this growth rate and you're saying things are going really good and have been for quite some time. If you're a trader, you're looking at that reversal off of the pre market lows and saying there's some legs here. Um, so I, I think things are really turning now in, in Paramount, uh, Paramount's favor. Joe is sitting here on the desk, as you know. <laughs> he was rolling
2: his eyes a little bit. Now he's raising his hand, and you should have seen the face that he was making. Weiss can barely contain himself, so I'll give it to, to Joe. Jim,
3: how can you leave out the fact that the direct-to-consumer subscription and ad revenue were both amiss? I mean, that's so critical to the TV and media segment of the business.
8: Uh, Joe I'm not sure what you're looking at because I didn't see it as a miss. so we may be having different data sources there but let me just let me put these numbers in front of you and then you tell me if this is a terrible stock just let me put the numbers in front of you okay Okay. Uh, revenue for paramount plus was up 120% year over year. The entire streaming business, okay, which is Paramount Plus, it's Pluto TV, and it's Showtime Plus or something like that, was up 56% year over year. Uh, these are breathtaking numbers for a stock that trades at 11 times earnings, below book value, and a 3.5% dividend yield. I'm um, I'm real. I'm, again, I'm not sure what numbers you're looking at, but okay, those are I'll, I'll read them to you. The, he's he's going to the read them to
3: you. Direct-to-consumer <laughs> revenue of $1.1 was a miss versus the $1.25 estimate. Subscription revenue of 830 was 10 million light and ad revenue at 363 was 30 million light.
4: But who's the source on that?
3: Again,
8: let me just jump back in here because this is, you know, look, it's a good question. And it's an opportunity for me who actually knows the stock pretty well to kind of go into some details here. Again, I'm I'm looking at different data sources. But what I think Jim, hold on a second. Before you answer, before you
2: answer, before you answer, before you answer. There's no alternate data sources. They either they either That's they either so. beat it or they missed. That's, right? They either beat the consensus
8: or they missed. Now, consensus we we all know that there are different data sources for consensus. And probably what the difference is here is that they turned off 3.9 million subscribers in Russia. Okay, and I don't know if one data source versus the other is accounting for that. There is really no way to look at this report and see anything other than good results and a very good prognosis. Okay, I'm going to read you a line from Atlantic Equities.
2: Um, Revenues rose 19 percent. That was better than consensus of 12, but was entirely due to film as both DTC and TV media marginally missed. Now, we're not suggesting or Joe, I don't think, was suggesting that they missed a lot. I mean, the metrics that he read to you. Uh, would certainly back that up, um, but I feel like how how could we, we're talking about like apples and oranges as though one set of numbers doesn't exist, well, that's... the the other
8: numbers e- exist in, so me, in the that's... universe that you, you want the numbers them to. That matter. Let me tell you the numbers that matter here. Okay. Let me just uh, recap this. They beat on revenues, they beat on earnings, they beat on free cash flow. And that's really what I want. When you look at those streaming numbers, which is a detail that's worth looking into, um, I'm not sure that those analyst estimates that you're referring to, and I'm seeing other ones, okay, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not sure they're taking into account the fact that 3.9 million subscribers were turned off in Russia. Now, if you want to focus on what matters, I'll tell you, the 4.9 million subscriber additions are what matters.
3: Jim, direct-to-consumer, are you saying they beat? Yes. Oh, okay.
8: Jenny, you own it,
2: too.
4: Well, y- yeah, but I... This is something that I bought at like 16 bucks during the pandemic and have been using as a source of cash ever since and have a marginal kind of stub position.
2: That's a big vote of confidence before well, you it's not. give your answer.
4: <laughs> no, no, but it's not. But my answer doesn't have to do with Paramount. My answer has to do with consensus, which okay. is frequently, Jim's exactly right. You can look at different consensus data, whether it's from Bloomberg or Refinitiv, yeah. you know, or other sources. Like, it depends on which analysts are in there. It depends on whether they're using mean estimates or median estimates, whether they take out outliers. So there is, I always find noise in consensus data. So I just want to I think to you that
8: guys out. are missing the bigger picture. All right, Jim, go. I mean, you get really, the last no, word. You it, you're Jim, really you get, missing the bigger you picture. You get the here. last
2: word, then I got to go. I can't give Steve, yeah. a, I can't give Steve a, yeah. a last word, because then there'll be like 4,000 more words. I have
8: yeah, such no, a lot. No, listen, guys, guys, no, this is important. Okay. This was a on everything that matters. If you want to find nits to pick, be my guest. This is a stock that operationally is exceeding expectations and the share price today is reflecting it and I think in the future will too.
3: Jim, are they insulated from cord cutting?
8: Well, st- I mean, streaming is that's the insulation. Really, that's, like, that's not really Streaming is question. the insulation against cord cutting. No one's so insulated
3: from cord I'm cutting. I'm
8: not quite sure what you're referring to. Let me let me help you out here, Joe, because I'm not sure you really know this stock well enough. Okay. In addition to the, in addition to the 60 million streaming subscribers, they've got okay. 70 million Pluto TV uh, subscribers. So you put those two numbers together, and this is the actual truth: 130 million subscribers to their overall streaming business. If you want to laugh at that, you can be my guest. I don't
1: no, need to go. No, that like, was a good line. I'm, I'm not laughing at the punch.
2: Yeah. We were laughing at the, at the numbers. I, I was, was laughing. like,
1: Scott, can I give the wind? We got to go. We got to go. I really got to go. I had to
2: go like three minutes ago. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do have to go. Jimmy, I appreciate it, man. You deserve it. All right. We're back after this. Let's do some of our calls of the day. Now, CrowdStrike named best idea at Stevens. The stock, though, is down five and a third percent. Joe, uh, you own this. What's with the drop? What's with the drop?
3: I think the the drop today is related to overall cybersecurity stocks that are down. I think you have to look past that. I think you have to look at this company and understand that eight of the last ten quarters, you're seeing uh, free cash flow generation that's been positive 32% 32% is the free cash flow generation figure. They're in the role, all the right places, e-commerce, identity, public cloud. Uh, it's a company that is best in breed when looking at cybersecurity. Down 30% over one year.
2: Correct. What's, Just got what's it up
4: off its 52-week low, though?
2: It's 38% off of its 52-week high. <laughs> all right. Uh, JetBlue. You own Palo Alto, let's go there first.
4: Yeah, so this is interesting, and this is a little bit of, we can both win here. I think this whole cybersecurity space is like the the original razor blade model. We will never ever be able to get enough of it. We're gonna need it forever, and we're just gonna to keep buying more and more new versions of it. So in our case, we own Palo Alto because they have just a straight up higher free cash flow yield than CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike will generate about 440 billion, sorry, 440 million of free cash flow. Um, Palo Alto about 2 billion. CrowdStrike has a 1% free cash flow yield, Palo Alto 4%. Now, here's where you might do better than me, maybe, which is you've got a 50% growth rate. We've got a mid-20s percent growth rate on revenues. But for us and for our discipline, we need that higher free cash flow yield. So that's the way we get to play the space, too, but in what I think is a little bit of a safer
2: context. You you got something on JetBlue, which which I just mentioned, resumed neutral at B of A. Yeah. $10 is the target you know, I think that's low.
4: No, I think that's low because what's 16
2: percent from here.
4: Yeah, but I think it should be up 100 percent. And I'm not kidding. So this is in our discipline growth strategy. And here's where we are. The thesis is exactly the same now as when we overpaid for it a few months ago at $14. But the thesis then was that they should get back to two dollars of earnings. And that's pre-pandemic levels. Consensus right now. Let's give consensus credit, even though I've disparaged them recently. Let's say they do get back Mm, to consensus. Consensus is
2: right in this case.
4: Yeah, of course, because it agrees with me. So, so. Am I the only one who
2: caught that? <laughs>
4: no, I said, since I've disparaged it, I called myself out. Um, That's but true, I'm using but then them you to think, my oh, I got to go. They're All right, right $2 I go. of earnings in two years. Give it a 10 times multiple $20 stock. They okay. return to profitability in June.
2: All right, Santoli next with his midday word. All right. It's Midday Word. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the NYSC. What is uh, your view today halfway through?
3: Uh, Buying a little time. uh, Scott, kind of hanging here at the the top end of this range. The big question coming in, you know, these calls from Goldman Sachs and elsewhere, that this has been nothing but a positioning shock rally. People got too negative. Mechanical buying just to get equity uh, kind of allocations up and to cover some shorts. Yes, that's absolutely part of it. I do think it's worth noting, though, since the lows, how much yields have gone gone down. And gasoline prices. Remember that that's what pushed the last bit of Fed hawkishness and the, and the move in equities to the lows. So it seems like a normalization. Uh, probably don't want a super strong jobs number tomorrow, but uh, weekly unemployment claims continue to tick up. Uh, and the story is the same pre-recessionary, but not imminently uh, recessionary type numbers.
2: Yeah. 269. I'm looking at it right now on, on the 10 year. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a few for your last word. All That's right. Mike Santoli, Stock Exchange for us. Final trades next. Three hours from now, in overtime, Lizanne Saunders joins me from Charles Schwab. we got a lot to talk about. with The markets, we'll do it with her. Dan Greenhouse, Liz Young, Stephanie Link. A bunch of earnings, too, that you'll want to pay attention to. Expedia, DoorDash, Block, formerly Square. And, of course, Lyft, too. We'll have all that for you. As it breaks, the analysis and the stock moves, and I hope all of you will join me then. Let's do final trades. Jenny Harrington, you go first.
4: Iron Mountain. This is a REIT where you get the best of both worlds. You get a 5% yield, and you get 10.5%. FFO growth in the future. They just announced earnings this morning and they were really good, exceeding expectations so far this year.
1: Okay, thank you. Steve Weiss. Yes, first of all, I don't know if you heard me, but I give the winner of Paramount to Kellyanne Lagenthal. Uh, in terms of our final trade, uh, Porsche, you're getting close to the spin when you've got race. We're selling at 40 times earnings. That's going to create tremendous value for Volkswagen and Porsche shareholders.
2: Okay, which you bought more of, by the way, a Porsche. Yes, I did. Yeah. All right, uh, last but not least, Joe T. Very Took cool. a blow
3: from uh, Labanthal uh, today. He, he punched me square in the nose. That's okay. <laughs> I love Jimmy. Uh, so you're getting a pullback here in healthcare. Let's not forget about that sector. It's my favorite sector of the year. Mm. Within that sector, Merck is a name that you could take advantage of, a 5% pullback and buy here. All right, good stuff. It's good to see you guys right here in front of me. All right, so I'll see everybody in a few The exchanges
2: now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast
4: The
6: Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com active cash.